I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, um, where we just started off last week uh, heading into this. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's uh, plenty in the back. Pop your hand up, someone will get you one. While you're turning to Ephesians, um, I want you to listen to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, those who don't believe in a curse um, uh, and parts of Genesis have, have uh, clearly not done certain things that were done this week. Uh, Genesis 3.17 says this. This is God talking to Adam. Um, and he says this, The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. Now, Thursday night and yesterday, we had, um, we had some work days kind of kicking off our community gardens, and there are several in this room that understand this passage of Scripture in a unique way because um, we dealt with thorns and thistles this last week as we did some things, but we now have um, six boxes that are kind of our uh, pilot program for, um, for this neighborhood garden that's happening right behind this building. So we would love it if you would at some point, um, maybe in the next couple of weeks, go and take a walk out there, take a look at what's going on, pray over it. Um, what was so awesome about yesterday was that we had uh, three different churches or organizations that were, that were out there helping, helping us do this. Um, this is a trench that's going to be for our, our drip system. And um, it wasn't just a neighborhood Bible church thing. There were people from other churches that were coming out just believing this. And the message at every point has been, uh, as we started working on Thursday night, as we started working on Saturday, is God, this is to give it away. This is to share. This is your heart um, to, to share your blessings with people. And um, for those of you who, you know, who aren't fully up on this, just stay tuned. We're going we're gonna to keep you posted on what's happening with it. This isn't for gardeners. This isn't for those of you who like organic vegetables. Um, this is really for Christians. This is a church-wide thing that we're saying. We want to do this to just be a blessing in our neighborhood. And already, uh, several of our neighbors have just said, what are you guys doing over there? We want to know more and what's happening and this and that. So be in prayer for it, our, our neighborhood garden going on. Um, last week, <clears throat> uh, we ended our, our service with this song that was so poignant to, um, to what we had talked about. Paul, uh, Paul basically, in the first two verses of, uh, of Ephesians 1 here, lays out who he is. He gives just a short thing at the start of the letter saying, here's who I am and here's what this is about. And um, I just thought it was so powerful to end on this song, Who Am I? Um, because you answer this question of who I am and you understand what that's about. And it really, starts to, uh, it really starts to blow holes in all these things that people tend to struggle with. Um, every one of you in this room in some way or another is insecure. And we struggle with who we are. We struggle with who we, who we present ourselves to be. Um, discovering who we are and seeing who we are from God's perspective um, frees us from a lot of neurotic behavior, I think. Uh, some people have insecurities that, that express themselves, kind of escapes into self-loathing that happens in different ways. Um, sometimes our insecurities come off as pride and that we're all that and we've got it all together. Um, but it's so powerful to understand who we are. And we talked last week about Paul, how he could have gone in multiple directions in saying who he was, but he clearly understood himself very simply um, from God's point of view and kind of wore that label at his deepest root level. Um, I hope you caught, too, this idea that, that to be a Christian, to be in God's family, is to be a saint. 
There's not some hierarchy. Last week it was so powerful to celebrate the Lord's Supper together with the saints in this room. And to understand that, that we are saints. We're set apart and made holy because of the righteousness that we have in Christ. It was really neat to be sitting there, sitting there singing about this uh, idea of the love of God. And I want to start, uh, before we launch into, into specific words of Ephesians 1, um, this passage, if you've been reading through it and looking at it this week, uh, you've probably come to grips with the fact that it's a pretty awesome passage of Scripture. Ephesians 1 uh, is, is just an, an amazing uh, portion of Scripture that we get to kind of look at. And uh, some of you may have grown up in church and have learned the song or sung the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Anyone know that song? Okay, good. You're with me. You're tracking. Um, that was a song that I was taught when I was very little. And I, used, I would sing that song, and, um, and it's a great song. It's a great little song. Uh, but early on, we start thinking about this, this idea of the love of God. And um, as we start this morning, here's what I want to put out to you, is that we don't, we don't get the love of God, and we don't set the love of God. And I'll explain what I mean by that. We don't get the love of God means this. We don't, we don't get it, meaning we don't understand it completely. Uh, we can capture some of the ideas in some kids' songs about God's love for us. We just sang, I was listening with an ear toward the love of God of the four songs we just sang. It's built into a lot of our songs, isn't it? We write about it a lot. People write books about the love of God. But when I say that we don't get it, it means this. It's so far beyond us that, we, that, that there's wonder and mystery to the love of God. And there are, there are times in worship, there are times when you're reading your Bible, there are times when you're going through life, and you just go, why, God, why would you love me? And, it's, and it boggles your mind, and it really does just start to lift way beyond your capacity to understand it. When God was here in the flesh, in the form of Jesus Christ, uh, John 13, it says this, that Jesus then showed them, meaning his disciples that he'd been with for almost three years at this point, the full extent of his love. And what he did with that was he stooped down and uh, took on a servant's towel and started to wash their feet. Guess what happened to the disciples? They were bewildered. They did not understand that. They were perplexed by that. In fact, some of them were put off by it. You should never do this, Lord. This is wrong. And so anytime we, anytime we try to, to think that we completely understand or have a grasp on the love of God, there ought to be some humility there that just says, Lord... Um, I'm probably tainting this with my own picture of love, with my own ideas about love. Um, many people in our culture today, and I would say through the ages, are uncomfortable with mystery, uncomfortable with wonder, uncomfortable with things that they can't put a box in and, and fit it in. So what happens is this. When we start to project, or we start to try to figure out God's love, we sometimes tend to, to bring down... Uh, God's ideal of what, of what is, and we try to fit it into what we understand or what we know about love, thereby downgrading God's love. That will always be a downgrade. I've put two passages in kind of your intro section of your notes this morning. Ephesians 3.17, you can just kind of look along with me. It says this, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, circle those words, rooted and established, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, there's our word, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Verse 19, and to know, circle that word know, 
this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Philippians 1.9 says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, catch this, in knowledge and depth of insight. As we go into Ephesians 1, what we're going to see is we're going to see this kind of manifestation of God's love. It's going to be put into words. And it's really kind of a praise. It's almost like Paul's just writing this praise uh, portion to kind of kick off Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I said that we don't get it, meaning we don't understand it. We don't set it. What I mean by that is this. We don't get to set the parameters of God's love. We don't set up the system or, or how God's love functions. That's God's job, and we get to be recipients of it. We would always infect it when we inject our own ideas of how God's love. Uh, we must allow God's revealed love to us and God's revealed word to us inform what we think about the love of God. So in other words, if you were to go walk out uh, today, this week, and talk to ten different people and say, does God love you? My hunch, I, this is a very scientific, it's just Dave's hunch, but... My hunch is that many people, most people, I would say, say, yeah, of course he does. And then as you start to dialogue about that and say, well, how do you know he loves you? And what does it mean that God loves you? I think we would get a wide range and variety of that. Some people might uh, limit it to circumstances. Well, he's, he's given me my health. Or I prayed to him once and he changed this circumstance. And we would have all these different, these different kind of uh, things that would... That would determine whether or not God loves us. Um, my prayer, my hope for us as a church, as we walk into Ephesians, for instance, is that we would allow the Bible to inform what it means that God loves us. Let me, let me propose this to you, that the Bible starts with a topic that most people that I have ever met don't even want to glance at this topic and the Bible says you need to stare at this topic and then you'll start to, be, to begin to understand the love of God. The topic is this. Our utter corruption as human beings. Most people want to avoid that topic with a 10-foot pole. I don't even want to glance that way. But God's love says this. To start, just to foundationally begin to understand my love, you need to stare into the depths of your own depravity. You need to stare into the fact that not only are you not perfect, kind of good, used to be good, working towards being good, you're not good. And the Bible says we want, we want to start there and stare into that. And only then can you begin to, to really understand what God's love is all about. I would say that as we move forward in Ephesians 1, it's important that we have humility in understanding, God, I just need to understand that there are probably things about your love that I need to grow in. That I don't have a full handle on the love of God. But there's also uh, not just humility, but this desire to struggle, to grow, to understand. It's not enough for us, and we're not, uh, we're not allowed to just kind of say, well, those are really big, heady topics, and so we're going to leave them on the shelf for someone else to think about. We're instructed in the Scriptures time and again that, uh, that, that we're to be striving to understand, growing in our knowledge. Uh, in just a few moments, our community groups are going to come up, they're going to blitz through the stage, and every one of them is going to give you kind of a quick power shot of what their community group's about, and we're, we're kind of kicking off a launch here of our, of our fall community groups. In those community groups, my hope and my prayer is that we would grow up in the knowledge of the love of Christ. 
that we'd come to grips with who we are, for instance. That we'd walk away changed people, not because we listened to an, a, a sermon for one hour during the week, um, but also that we dove into it ourselves and that, and that we allowed spic- uh, the, the scriptures to read us, as it were. And just that powerful thing to have other people look into our lives and, and say, man, it seems like God's saying this to you. And to, and to grow up in Christ. Um, look in your Bibles with me for a moment. And look at verses 3 all the way down uh, to verse 14. 3 through 14 in chapter 1 of Ephesians is one long sentence in the Greek. We've broken it up in our English a little bit. But um, what I'm going to say to you is this. It's really challenging to know kind of where to break this and where to stop and kind of carry on next week because this really is one kind of long sentence. In fact, I think, I think there's a total of seven or eight sentences in the book of Ephesians. That's it. There's these kind of long run-on things, and some of our English teachers are just creeping out right now, but it works better in the Greek than it does in the English. Um, but it's, here's, what, here's what I'm pointing out, is that the next two or three weeks, as I try to break this up and as we dive into this, it's going to feel a little bit like carryover. So part one will be this week, part two will be next week. You, you catch that? So there's going to be a, a flow of thought here that we want to, to kind of build on, and that's good to think about. As you look at, um, at this first portion of Scripture, uh, before we get into the specifics of it, here's some, here some big thoughts for you to kind of chew on. We had talked in the, in the intro that Ephesians really talks about God's will and plan way beyond the church because these, these big sweeping terms are used about the whole universe and about uh, you know, eternity past and kind of these big thoughts that it's, it's broader than just the, uh, just the church. But we do see in this first chapter um, this, this picture of God's redemptive work in the church. Uh, verses 3 through 6 um, show the, the, the past aspect of God's church in the idea of election. In verses uh, 6, kind of the second half of 6 through 11, we're shown the present aspect of God's redemptive work in redemption. And in verses 12 through 14, we see the future aspect of God's work, which is the inheritance. Those are big ideas for us as a church. To understand our election, to understand the redemption going on, and to understand our inheritance and where this whole thing is headed, those are huge ideas for a local body to keep in front of us. We also realize that God is not bound in time. There's a before time, in time, and beyond time aspect to chapter 1. Let me read 3 through 6 and let this just kind of sink in for you. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look into um, the text this morning, I ask God that you would clear our hearts and our minds to be able to focus on you, to be able to think on spiritual matters right now. God, um, I just confess a a distraction in my own uh, heart and life. I pray, God, that you would... um, Help me to focus. I pray that you'd uh, allow my voice to hold out right now. 
God, I pray that we would see um, the things that you, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave to Paul for us as the church to see and to lay hold of this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the other big ideas I want you to see is this idea of God in three persons working to establish his church. There's God the Father that we're going to look at this week. Um, There's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit all at work in these first few verses. When you think of the word blessed, without telling me back, just in your own mind, what do you think about blessed? In some ways, blessed is a, is a, is a church word. There's a, there's a sense that I can watch people. If I tell people that I'm a pastor, for instance, um, people will sometimes start to use Christian code language with me. And they'll say, oh, good for you, and this and that. And then all of a sudden, they're blessed this, and they're blessed that, and isn't it a blessing? And the word blessed like pops up a ton all of a sudden. But what's interesting, it's not, it's not really a church word, is it? You don't, have to be a, you don't have to be a God-fearer to use the word blessed. Sometimes it's just the most fitting word. You just say, man, you're so blessed. What's interesting, last week we looked at the idea of credit and saying who's responsible for these blessings we're going to get. Paul lays it out right at the very start. By the will of God, I'm an apostle. I'm writing you these ideas that aren't Paul's. They're, they're God's ideas. But I thought about the, the, the language of people. Someone might say to someone, they might say, um, Kirk, you're super lucky for that to have happened. Well, what they're doing is they're, I mean, whether they're trying consciously to do this or not, they're attributing your good fortune to luck, right? And then someone else who says that you're blessed, they may be a Christian, they may, they, they may not be, but for a Christian, we understand this. Sometimes there's no better word than just to say, I don't know how else to say it, and I'm not trying to sound like preachy or pastory, but I'm just blessed. And we just understand that. That's, that's the word that kind of, kind of captures it for us. Paul really launches into this, and it's, it's fascinating. Again, remember he's in chains. He's, he's bound against his will, and yet it's like his spirit is just soaring in praise. And there again, you just see this, this amazing thing God had done in the life of Paul to be able to rise above circumstances and be so enthralled with these things that he has in Christ that he just bubbles forth as he starts to write. But he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's one use of the word blessed. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Here's what I want to point out to you this morning. God is blessed. Isn't that a strange idea? Don't we normally think of the idea that we're blessed by God? But here it's saying, blessed be God. What is it talking about? The original verb here is to speak well of. It's, it's eulogitos, and I probably just butchered that, but it's where we get our word eulogy. And it's the idea of extolling the praises of someone, speaking well about someone, pointing out their good points. And in the New Testament, the only time we ever see this verb used, it's always talking about God. Blessed be the God and Father. It's fitting that as we kind of start into Ephesians 1 and some of the topics that are going to be brought up, that it starts from God's perspective. That's one of my challenges for you as we, as we look at some of the topics ahead, is that we look at it from God's point of view. Not only is God blessed, but God has blessed. A second idea of this is carried this, the idea of to benefit or prosper. And that's probably the more common use that we would think about. Oh, you're so blessed. You're so benefited or prospered by God is what that's talking about. Think about this. These two very different versions of blessing um, really create theological problems if you invert them. 
In other words, God speaks well of us instead of us doing the praising to God. And God speaks well of us because we benefit or prosper God. You and I can never benefit or prosper God. He will always be the one benefiting and prospering us. And the idea of, 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 um, of praise is that we offer that to God. God doesn't offer that to us. We covered that, a little bit of that last week. The idea of, um, of this blessing in, in verse 3, it says this, that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The idea of spiritual blessing refers to the source of the blessing and not the extent of the blessing. So it's not that he hasn't blessed us with other good material things, it's, it's, it's only spiritual things, but rather that spiritual blessings is that that's the source of the blessing. It comes from God and from heavenly places. Um, the doxology that some of you again, may have grown up with and, and know is this, the idea that uh, it says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And that's actually, I mean, I, I look at that as right here from Ephesians 1. Blessed be, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How has He blessed us? He's blessed us in Christ. Nine times in chapter 1 is the idea of in Christ. The repetition of this, verse 3, in Christ, verse 4, in Him, verse 7, in Him, verse 9, in Him, verse 10, in Christ, in Him, verse 12, in Him, verse 13, in Him, twice, is the idea that all the blessing that we get from God is, is, it flows through Christ. Christ is the one that we're blessed through. Karl Barth says this, Jesus is God's yes to fallen mankind. What are these heavenly places talking about? The heavenly places that Paul's bringing up here constitute a real place, a real sphere. And if you just jot down 612, you can read 612 later on. But it's not just good heavenly places. There's a whole spiritual realm that's going on. And as we pray for a sunny morning, as we pray for our community groups, as you pray before you go and share with someone... As we pray over something as mundane as wood and dirt and boxes in the backyard, what we recognize is that our real battle is against not flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces that are at work. And there's a whole sphere that God is sovereignly in charge of and rules over. Our citizenship, according to Philippians 3.20, is there. It's in this heavenly realm. And so we're in this tension right now of walking the earth and living the earth and, uh, and dealing with things. But, but that's why we're to keep focused, Colossians 3.1, on things above where Christ is seated. And as we talk about blessing, rather than running through in our mind day after day, week after week, thanking God for the blessings of material things that we won't think about two weeks from now, what if we start to grow up in our thinking of God and say, God, what I'm really thankful for are not my circumstances being good or bad right now. It's not even my health and my comfort, which frankly that kind of comes and goes. Yeah, I can be thankful for a meal, but you know what I'm really thankful for? I'm thankful that my name right now is written in the book of life and that it's not going anywhere. God, I'm thankful that, that my righteousness is sealed up and done and finished and you're going to see me through to the end. These are the kinds of blessings that I think God wants us to, to lift our gaze from here to here and say, what are the spiritual realities that I'm to walk in today? 
What are the spiritual goals that you ought to have for the week? And then see how that starts to inform and transform our circumstances. Doesn't mean we don't have bills to pay. Doesn't mean we don't get blisters. Doesn't mean that our car doesn't break down. All those things continue to happen. But what you start to realize is you say, you know what? These are, these are little piddly side things. Paul's able to be in prison and say, yeah, it's kind of a trivial side thing. The, the, the realities are that I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The key to this, the key to the idea of being able to do this is to walk by the Spirit. I want to um, focus on these blessings and not skip by them because I think it's something pretty critical for us. This gift or blessing, what is it that's benefited us? Um, I think that many Christians, and this is just, uh, this is from my own personal life as well as talking with and meeting with and spending a lot of time with people, is I think that many Christians um, continually pray for and long for things which we already possess. And then many Christians also um, are frustrated with God, get mad at God, are bitter towards God for Him not coming through on promises which He never made. Um, we just had a couple in our home, Becky and I did, a couple nights ago, and they're planning on getting married fairly soon. And so we did some premarital counseling, and this chapter that we happened to be on was on expectations. What I'm talking about is this idea of we have these expectations of God, and they're misinformed. They're cultural. They're our own mind forming who God is. And when he doesn't come through on those, we get frustrated. Here's what I'm talking about with the idea that Christians pray for and long for things which we already possess. And, and let me just... Let me just uh, start this off with grace, okay? Saying, if you've prayed this way, even this morning, there's grace, okay? I'm not trying to come down on you. And like I said, this is from my own personal idea. But this is growing up in, in the knowledge of God. Not by show of hands, but just by um, internal affirmation. How many of you prayed, have, have prayed the idea of, of give me more love? God, give me more love. Let me read for you Romans 5. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's either true or it's not true, isn't it? The Holy Spirit was either given to us or He wasn't. We have the Holy Spirit or we don't. And the love of God has been poured out into us by the Holy Spirit or it hasn't. And yet sometimes I pray for more love. God, give me peace. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 27? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You have it. Lord, I need happiness and joy. These things I have spoken to you, John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. God, I need strength. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now there again, I think language is good, and I think language is good to be accurate in, but I think there's a way to grow up in our prayer life and say, God, I just need to lay hold of these things. I already have these things. And I keep praying for and waiting for you to give me things which I already possess. You've already promised that you've given them to me. God has given us all good things. James 1.16 says this. We're about to sing a song in a bit called Father of Lights. James 1.16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. 
coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It's possible to be deceived where every spiritual blessing comes from. It's possible to be deceived and give credit, not where credit is due, but elsewhere for the good things going on in your life. Some of us in this room might be in a place where we feel like we're in a position of strength and we feel like these good things happening here are the result of my choice here, my decision here, my effort here, my charisma here, this or that. It's possibly to be deceived where the good things we have. Some, some in this room might be in such a place of being brought low and being brought to humility that they can honestly look out and say, man, every good thing that has gone on in my life, all it is is a gift that God's given. And why he's chosen to bless me with it, I don't really understand that, but I'm thankful for it. In fact, I'm just, I'm, I'm more than moved by it. I'm actually changed by it. My life is different because I, I recognize that God's the giver of all of these good things in my life. Not only do we pray for things that we already have, but we also get mad at God because of misguided expectations. Some, some of you, and I certainly have prayed this before, sometimes they are, they're kind of the, come on God, prayers. Here's how it, here's how it comes off. Usually there's kind of a whiny voice. I don't know what your voice sounds like when you pray in your head, but sometimes there's a whiny voice in there for me. It might come across as something like this. You're a young person looking for a mate. Come on, God, where is she? Where is he? Where's that spouse? You know I want a wife, or you know I want a husband. Come on, God, why the lack of popularity? Come on, God, where's the kickback? I've been serving you faithfully. Why am I dealing with this health issue? Why are these circumstances happening? Why did that person get the promotion? Come on, God! We get mad at God for things that He's never promised to come through on. In fact, many of the things I find myself praying for in the come on God prayer mode are things actually that God has said, in this life you will have trials. He's actually promised the opposite. So if I knew my Bible and I trusted my Bible, I'd say, okay, I get it. This is, this is where this is at. All the while, when I'm in my come on God mode, uh, Jesus is offering himself to us. He's offering himself to me, saying, am, am I enough? I'm offering myself. These things that we have, we're blessed because we're in Christ. That goes back to the idea of your name being written in the book of life. That comes back to the idea that you're in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a lot of all and a lot of abounding in good things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As we read that, as we trust in that, we need to understand what that looks like. And we need not be blown and tossed here and there when things go wrong in our life and we wonder, is God blessing us? 
Where's this blessing that God promised us? The source of all blessing is also the recipient of blessing, the idea of praise. And that's why in the title, the idea that blessings flow to and from. We're only going to take a moment here to kind of give a peek into where verse, uh, verse 4 through 6 go. Um, but I want you to think for a moment right now about um, maybe a really profound time that you were chosen for something. Um, maybe chosen for a sports team. Maybe chosen and elected in some school thing. Uh, certainly for those of us who are married, the idea of being chosen is really, really profound. To choose a wife and to have her say yes. And as a wife, to be chosen. The idea of being chosen is a really profound human experience. Um, it means someone made a choice and I was the beneficiary. Let me read verses 4 through 6 again. Even as He, talking about God, chose us in Him, talking about Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. All through the Scriptures, God... Um, has provided this ongoing metaphor of, of this family language that goes on. Ben referred to it in our worship time this morning, the idea of being a child of God. And that's a really intimate, obviously profound kind of a concept. Um, I want to just share for a couple minutes before I close here, really break until next week. Um, <clears throat> many of you know that we had adopted... Uh, Cassie, a couple of years ago. And um, anytime you get married, you understand certain parts of Scripture a little bit differently. And anytime you start to have children, you understand different parts of Scripture in a more profound kind of a way. Um, if you've lost someone close to you by death or by tragedy, you understand certain portions of Scripture that before you just kind of couldn't tap into. Uh, long before we really even adopted Cassie, I remember reading the Bible with this lens of God's heart toward the orphan. God's heart toward the widow. God's heart toward these, these who were really kind of the, um, the low end of society, meaning they're, they're disadvantaged in some way, shape, or form. And as I thought about us adopting Cassie, and I thought about me being adopted by God, I began to think this, that, um, and again, this, this metaphor breaks down, so bear with me a little bit, okay? But long before Cassie was even born, her future parents were making decisions, making provisions, making plans for her to be adopted. Didn't have anything to do with Cassie. She hadn't been born yet. So she hasn't done something right or wrong. She's the recipient of a choice made by a father and a mother in this case. Um... The idea of God's purpose and God's will. You know whose purpose and will it was that Cassie got married, uh, married, adopted? She's not getting married. Um, you know what? It wasn't hers. It was her parents. The, the will and purpose that we have for Cassie is always going to be for her good. 
we were sworn in on this one day in China, and it brought my wife to tears. It was kind of an interesting thing. You're going through uh, boring governmental form kinds of things. And at one point, this one person looks at us, and through the translator it said, Do you promise never to abandon this child? And for whatever reason, uh, A, the reality of adopting was in that moment really powerful because we had met her, I think, I think it was the, the day before. But here's my wife with tears in her eyes. She says, I promise I'll never do that. Do you promise to care for this child as, as if it's biologically your own? And we said, we, we promise we will. And it went through this checklist of things. And it was so cool because... It was just this affirmation of, I thought, gosh, no one ever did that for my biological kids. You know, I guess I can get rid of them. But, but legally, I've sworn to do good by Cassie. But, but there's this powerful picture as I look at this and I read Ephesians 1. That I say, man, it's been, it's been the will of the Father to purpose good in my life as this adopted child. It was no merit of Cassie's that we chose her and said, we pick you. But what a powerful thing for her. As much struggle as someone who's, who's been adopted, and you wrestle with different things with that, don't you? There are things later on in life that you just wrestle with. But there's, a, but there's this God-given grace that um, comes back and says, you know what, your, your four biological brothers and sisters... Um, Parents didn't really have a choice, but it, with, with you, there, there really was this, this essential choice that you were chosen by them. The other thing about, um, about the idea of, of, of adoption, we'll kind of wrap it up here, is this. And this is just kind of setting up next week, really. Is that, um, is that Cassie was offered full status as a family member of our family from day one. And right away brought into that. Not second class citizen. She doesn't sit in a separate section. We don't give her second best. We don't give her leftovers. She's been given full right and full status. I read in a commentary somewhere this week this, and I've never really thought about this way, but Christ, in essence, is the natural or biological child of God. And we are the adopted, uh, chosen children of God. And yet together we're fellow heirs with Christ. We're given full stature, full status in the family of God. And that's this idea of being chosen. Um, let me invite the band up right now and, uh, and invite you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. One of the powerful <clears throat> things that I think God wants to do as we go through Ephesians is to grow in this understanding of what it is God is doing and wanting to do. We've already heard this alluded to several times, but an incredibly sweet passage of, of Scripture that we've probably heard hundreds of times, but sometimes fail to grasp the meaning of it. But it sets up well what we're looking at in Ephesians 1. It's the passage that says, at just the right time, Christ died for the unrighteous or the ungodly. And the reason we ought to soak in that this morning 
is to understand that our salvation rests on God's goodness, God's choosing. And it doesn't rest on us. If you're in here this morning and you think you don't want to hear about this God stuff and the wrath stuff, because you've had a sense that God came to die for the righteous. And you know in your heart of hearts you've done so much wrong stuff that you don't fit in the righteous category. Celebrate that you're in the category of sinner. Celebrate that you're in the category of unrighteous because that's who Jesus died for. By His own words, He said He came to seek and save the lost. He's a doctor who doesn't come for those who think they're already healthy. He's a doctor who comes for those who are sick and know they're sick. I wonder if Jesus were here today, if He would say something like this. Come to Me. I will not turn you away. I long to and am able to make grace abound to you in all ways. Focus on the realities of the Spirit, not on the temporary world that has arrested your attention. If this morning you have not come to Jesus before, bent your knee and offered repentance to Him, would you do that? There's an urgency here. There are those who are in God's family and there are those who are not in God's family. And this morning, the call goes out freely to one and all to come. To come and to receive the free gift that's totally from God, totally apart from your merit, totally apart from your work and it's the offer of eternal life God we praise you for your love we confess God that we've muddied the waters of what the love of God even is because we've injected our own ideas about that would you grow us up would you help us to understand what the love of God really is? Would you forgive us, God, for being a fickle people that tends to have doubt and wonder if you're there when circumstances go a little bit haywire? God, we long to cling to you every single day of our life. To rest in the, the massive love of God. By faith this morning, we understand and accept and receive these spiritual blessings, God. Help us to take note of them today before we lay our head on our pillow, God, to understand all these things that you've blessed us with. I pray for our church that we'd grow up in the knowledge of all that we possess in you right now. That we'd quit being handcuffed, God, because of things we think we need to achieve 
or begging you for things which we already possess in full measure. You've told us that if we walk by the Spirit and don't give provision for the flesh, that there's life at the end of that. That's the result. God, we need your help every step of the way, every moment. In Jesus' name, amen.